Well, while I have you standing, why don't you turn to Psalm 57 and we'll read that together. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge till these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me and into the midst of it they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp, and I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches to the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, how glorious, how powerful, and wonderful you are. And Lord, you reside in heaven, far above the fray of this world, and of our calamities, and of our troubles. Yet you've come down and sent your Son to save us, to redeem us, to bring you, to bring us to yourself. We're grateful for your love this morning. Bless your people this morning, Lord, that we would hear your word, would quicken our spirit, and bring immediate obedience to our heart. We would follow you with great love and adoration and praise and glory. We thank you for your faithfulness. Bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I am Frank Hedrick. Hello. Uh, Tony and I, my family here, uh, my daughter and son-in-law and their three kids, have, we are new to new life. So say that fast three times. I stumble over that. I tried that the other day. It's been uh, my pleasure to come here. We felt at home instantly here. The, the, the power of going through God's Word, the clear teaching of that, and just the heart and the leadership here is profound. And I just want to, I've been, this is not my first rodeo. You guys have some amazing leadership here. Uh, men that love the Lord. Ones that immediately I was impressed. And you've been well taken care of over the years, as I see. I'm just a baby here, at uh, an infant at New Life. So, But I've had the opportunity for the last... 45 years and the privilege to serve the Lord, to minister to his people in many different venues and different roles and different tasks, different responsibilities. And it's a, it's a joy to be here. So good morning. Psalm 57, 
An interesting psalm, very powerful psalm. What a, uh, as I study God's word, and you, you dive into something, and yet it becomes your favorite thing. This is my favorite psalm now. I'll have a new one the next time I dive into something. But this is great. It's been a great encouragement to me. It's really in a series, as I looked at it, in Psalm 52, 54, and as we'll see uh, in a couple of weeks, Psalm 59. David's highlighting his struggles with the infamous King Saul. How many of you have a King Saul in your life? Seems like we do. As I think about our life, how many of you feel trapped in your circumstances? No way out. Have you ever been like that? Yeah. How many have had somebody in authority over your life that's taken advantage of you, hurt you, and not been very kind? How many of you wonder, what in the world, Lord, are you doing? You promised this, you promised that. And I'm not anywhere closer to that than the man on the moon. What's going on? Or some of you, like me, have given way to discouragement in the midst of your trial. Given way to depression and surrendered to that disappointment. And walking away, or trying to walk away, from God's call in your life. This psalm's for you. This psalm's for me. I need that. Our context here is David running from Saul. He happens to be in a cave. And if you read through Samuel, there's a lot of cave experiences for David because he hid out there a lot. Uh, Maybe as many as 15 to 17 to 20 years. The timeline's not exact, but a good length of time he's running from King Saul. The irony of it all is David's been anointed as a young teenage boy by the great prophet Samuel to come in. He anoints this boy, he was a young boy, as king of Israel. And from that time on, as far as God is concerned, because he'd already rejected Saul, David was the king. But we have this great amount of time that goes by in which David is chased by Saul. We find him now here as he recounts in his life in his time of a cave. Hunkered down. Hiding out. But here we see in this psalm a powerful release for David as he begins to put things in perspective. He starts to lift his eyes. And the refrain within this psalm is repeated in verse 5 and verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be above the earth. He's beginning to see the Lord high and lifted up. That God is sovereign over the affairs of David's life. He is sovereign over the affairs of your life and my life. He stands exalted and full of glory far above the earth. And because God is sovereign, he's going to finish what he starts. And the Lord reminded me, if you want to turn there, I'm just going to read one verse from Luke chapter 14. And I thought of Jesus just asking me this question as he asked the question to his disciples and the multitude around him. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? 
And immediately my mind turns to the Lord. And is the Lord sufficient? Does he have sufficient resources and will and power to finish what he starts? Because he's not going to be end up as a fool who started something and couldn't finish. And I have to say, Lord, you finish everything that you start. That's the story of the Bible. If I go to Genesis and the story of creation, we don't see it the sixth day. He's going, oh, I wanted to do so much more, but I've run out of stuff. At each juncture, he said, this is good. He saw what he had done. It is good. And at the end of six days, he says, it's finished. I've completed my creation. And it's a good thing, he says. And he rested in full satisfaction. Not out of exhaustion, but complete and absolute satisfaction that what he had started, he had finished. Didn't take long for Adam to muck it up, but God's not done. And he promises immediately a redeemer, and centuries go by. Will will God's redeemer come? And he came. And it appeared on the cross as he's mocked, as the disciples flitter away, that God's plan had failed. Not so. The resurrection and the soon ascension would prove that and demonstrate that God is able and will finish what he starts. And as I read in the Revelation, he's going to wrap this all up. Amen? He said, I'm coming back. Who's looking for the soon return of our Redeemer? Amen. He's coming back. So he will finish what he starts. He will. And that's the story. I love it when Jesus was on the cross. What did he say? The last thing. It's finished. I finished. I came and I completed my role. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing. And and David here in our psalm, and Paul here exhorting us, be confident of this thing. What thing? That he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? I need to remind myself of that daily as I face the things of this life that work contrary against God's plan for me and what he has. And in this psalm we see God elevated, exalted, honored, magnified in the midst of David's troubles. We're going to see that God's not going to change one circumstance in David's life. And we're going to see him rise. The Lord lift him up to the heavenlies where he is. Physically, our psalmist is in a shadow of a dark cave. Hiding. He has hostile forces bent on his very destruction. But in his heart, he sees God. He's in the shadow of God's wing. God's over and above the darkness that he's currently in and the circumstances. He's under that safety and that refuge. Because the man of faith always sees more. It's never blind faith. How many of you heard that? Oh, it's just blind. You guys, you guys just have blind faith. No, I have seeing faith. I can see my Savior. I can see his work in my life. 
Remember the story of Elijah? The king of Syria sends his forces to surround Dothan and where Elijah was, they were going to capture him and bring him in. And the servant goes out to get the water or his Cheerios or Wheaties and he opens the door and he looks and he sees the army of the Syrians surrounding him. Comes back all freaked out. Oh, we're doomed. Don't you know what's happened out there? We're surrounded. Elijah goes, Lord, open up his eyes. He goes back out and there the Lord opens his eyes to see his army surrounding that army. Elijah wasn't upset. He saw something that we don't see. And Paul would echo that and say that the men, we are a people to see things. We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Eyes of faith. And that's what David's looking at. And what does that mean for us? Is this some ancient story about David and Saul and who cares? It's a great story for us. For the things that we face. And no matter what cave you're in this morning, whether you've been with one, what you're facing today, tomorrow, what happened yesterday, it doesn't matter because God is going to finish what he started in your life. No matter the circumstance, no matter how hopeless it might appear. And as David here is facing all this trouble, Saul was full of jealousy, hatred, lies, prejudice, jealousies, deception, all of it. That's what we face every day. And to put it in context for David here, it's akin to the president calling on his... He's the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. He calls his chiefs of staff and he says, I want you to call in SEAL Team 6 and get that Frank Hedrick and take him out. That's what David is facing here. If David, and as we're going to see David lifted up to the heavenlies and seeing the Lord in control and power, we understand the boss that hates me and has lied about me and overlooked me for promotion or the co-worker that, you know, did the old thing in the back, misrepresented you, and he got the promotion, or whatever it was. Your father, your mother, your neighbor, whoever it was that took advantage of you. God's in control. And we're going to see David recounting the praises and the mercies and the love of God in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his trials. God's going to give him abundant and fruitful and powerful life. All that to be said, to say this. Verse 1, be merciful to me, be merciful to me. I love it that David calls upon the mercy of God. Lord, deal with me. He doesn't say, that guy's bad and I'm good and because I'm good, please take care of me. He recognizes he needs mercy for his own life. And when I come to the Lord in humility and contriteness and say, Lord, help me, I think he meets me right there. David has that. He says, for my soul trusts in you. 
And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Merciful, trust, refuge. If I'm in that predicament, I'm talking about verses 4 and 6 first. I'm surrounded. i got lions all around me. I've got people trying to kill me. They're putting a net before me and I dug a pit and Lord help me. But David lifts his eyes to the Lord. And if you remember the very familiar pattern of prayer the Lord had given us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what does he say? Then the petition starts. David gets it. Lord, I'm coming to you in your mercy and Lord, I'm lifting you up. I got problems. But Lord, you're bigger than I am. I've come to you for help. And he says, your translations have in there uh, uh, these calamities. I like the word calamities. It just speaks of confusion and a mess. But it's even more powerful. It says storms of destruction. Our enemies come to destroy the work of God in your life. He wants to stop God's work in your life. That his kingdom will not go forward in your heart and in your life. But God is on the throne. David is doubling down here. I like that mercy, mercy. By name and by pronoun, God is mentioned in these 11 verses 22 times. He's getting his eyes off his circumstance and onto the Lord. And in the shadow of this cave, he understands there's something bigger than the cave that he's in. And he's under the shadow of of the wing of the Lord in verse 1 there. The shadow of your wings is where I am. Not in this cave. What's a shadow? It's dark. And it comes, emanates from something of substance. And when I saw that and I said, There's, it's a shadow, it's dark. And when I get into struggle in a situation, what does my mind begin to do? Those wheels start turning, don't they? Well, I could do this, that guy did that, and I could do that, and I could do this, and I could, and my mind starts rolling. And what here, the picture is here, because light represents illumination and understanding and truth. I was blind and now I see. The Lord says, just come under the shadow of my wing. Turn this off. Be still and know that I am God. And as the chicks would come under the wing of that great hen, their mother, for their protection. As your children would come and sit on your lap. What do you put around them? Your wing. And they could just put their, their, their little head on your chest. And hear your heartbeat. And hear you breathe. And all the trouble and all the woe that's out there is taken care of. I love to do that with my kids and now my grandkids. And here I can resort to the Lord in the same fashion. That's how intimate and personal he wants us to be and to become with him. This eyes of faith of seeing the overshadowing, arching God far above the heavens. And underline under verse one there in your Bibles, if you want. Until these destructions or calamities have passed by. They're going to go by. Your circumstance is going to change one day. Guaranteed. Ecclesiastes says there's an 
for everything there's a season and a time and a purpose unto heaven. We have seasons around us for a reason. God has created that. Things are moving. Things are never stagnant. And we get in this place of, I don't, I want everything to be the same. We're in a culture now in a society that's fixed on averages. Watch the news. Oh, we're two inches below our average of rainfall. Oh, we're five inches below our average snowfall. Our snowpack is down. And we're all going to die. I am no mathematician. Come talk to me and I'll convince you of that. But in order to get average, what do you have to have? I'm not a rocket science. Highs and lows. But we're so used to controlling and wanting to control our environment. I set my thermostat. It's going to get 90 degrees today. I have air conditioning. It's going to be 70 in my house. I don't care how hot it gets. I turn my faucet on and I turn it to the warm. Right now, what is that? A mixture of what? Hot and cold. We have all these things that are in flux in our life and they're changing and there are seasons in our life. Things that where everything's going right and things that aren't going to go very right at all. Can you get comfort in that? It's okay. It's not going to be just like this. We get like a... Uh, we got to get kicked out of the nest. I just want to snuggle in and not be put in any awkward position. And the Lord's so faithful to move us on. Great victories, mighty defeats. And we know in Romans 8.28, it all works together for what? For good. Is God going to finish what He starts? Yes. In verse 2, He says, I will cry out to, the, to God Most High, to God who performs all things for me. I love this. He cries out to who? He's got, now he's doubling down again. To God most high. He's getting higher. He's, he's elevating the Lord. He is the Lord of hosts. He's sovereign. He rules over everything. That's who I'm crying out to. And this is not a cry of self-pity or a whimper. This is a confident display a full expression of his distress and confidence to the Lord who's going to hear. And the picture the Lord gave me was Bartimaeus, and he's called in the Scripture, Blind Bartimaeus. Jesus enters into Jericho. He figures out that Jesus is probably going to leave. He sets himself outside on the road. When he hears the commotion of the road coming down, what does he do? He cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me till he's annoying. And they tell him, shut up. And he says, how could I shut up? My Redeemer's coming. He hears my cry. And here's my opportunity to get in front of him. A cry of confidence and strength. And to the one who is the Most High, He's the only one that has the resources. The picture here, he's in heaven with resources that you have no idea about. Mine are finite and fixed. And by understanding finite and fixed, his purposes are eternal. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He sees it all, knows it all. He performs 
or fulfills his purpose. And this is really the key in this psalm. His purpose. He finishes what he starts. He and he alone. There's nothing that could thwart the purposes that he has for you or for me in this life. And underline at the end of verse 2, for me. God has eternal things in mind. God has planned out the universe and all that goes about it. He has purposes for the church that He's going to fulfill. But first and foremost, we have to understand that He is our shepherd and He knows my name. I'm a part of something bigger, but He deals with me as an individual. He does this for me. Not for the church's sake, which it, which it will be. Not for eternal purposes, for which it will be. But first and foremost, for me. The relationship that David had, that the Lord wants for us, is a very personal and deep relationship. We're not a part of some nameless amoeba blob of the universal consciousness. God knows my name. God knows everything about me. He has a plan for me that he's going to finish. In verse 3, he says, I'm going to send, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God will send forth his mercy and his truth. He's doubling down again. He's going to send, he's going to send. Our God is ascending God. Our problems are here, are on earth. And he is in heaven, and he's the one that bridges the gap. He's the one with the resources. He's the one with the plan. And David knows God's coming and sending. He's going to bring what I need to save me. What does that remind you of? God comes to save. And my sinful condition, trapped in my own sin, Trapped in hopelessness with no way out. God saw you and me. And he sent his son to reach down. Not just to comfort us, but to save us. And to keep us and bring us unto himself. It says he's sending his mercy and his truth. All wrapped up in Christ. God's grace, mercy and truth. He doesn't just comfort you in your sickness and our disease and our cancer. He doesn't just put a little band-aid over you and say, that's okay, I'm here. He comes to save and to heal and to restore and to, and to give abundant life. And it's done with His truth. The truth of who I am and the truth of who He is. And when we come to that place, His healing power is there. His truth and His mercy has been sent to us and it's to me to help me to raise me up. He shall send from heaven and save. That's the gospel. And that's what distinguishes Christianity. It's nothing what did we what could we do to be saved? I couldn't buy an ounce of that blood. I couldn't buy a, a speck of it. I have no resources to save myself. And when we recognize that he comes to save from the pit of our despair. And there's nothing I can do, but He comes down. It's God reaching down. That's what I love. 
not the other way around. All man-made religion is always reaching up, trying to do this, be that, give that. Give, I got to give some money, so I'm going to get this, and I'm going to, and they're working it. And this is sheer grace and mercy poured down to us. And he says, the reproaches of him, of one who would swallow me up. He reproaches the one that would swallow me up. He's the gatekeeper in your life. The picture I got is, you know, I'm little Frankie's 10 years old. And Johnny lives next door and Johnny thinks that I stole his bike. So he comes next door and knocks on the door. And I have a good father this time, not the father I had. And he answers the door and he says, uh, can you send little Frankie out? I'm going to pound him to a pulp. He stole my bike. I didn't steal his bike. What's my dad going to do? What's a good father going to do? He's the gatekeeper. He's not going to allow that. And in this picture, David said, Ah, Lord, you're my gatekeeper. I don't have to defend myself. Lord, you're going to keep what I need and take care of me and, and you're going to protect me. Say law. Amen? That's a good thing. In verse 4, he talks about what's going on. My soul is among lions and I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue like a sharp sword. How many of you have felt that? How many of you felt the sting of a lie? A sting of a misrepresentation of who you are or what you've done. The brutality of that. And the gossip that goes along with it. And here's this picture of our arch enemy, our lion. Our roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And all the ensuing wickedness of humanity that follow along behind that we face every day. And now, like David, he's surrounded. There's no way out. What are we to do? Let's read verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be above the earth. I take it out of my hands, and now I'm putting it back into the Lord's. I am out of the picture. Lord, you take care of me. That's my first resort. Here, O Lord, here I am. And Lord, you're exalted. You're going to finish what you started in my life. Lord, you're in control. You know what's going on. Help me. Help me. And allow him to be rule and reign over my heart. And allow his peace to come over me. Instead of me working it. I loved it in David. If you read the story of David and Saul... You find that David never retaliated against Saul. And he had every right to. He returned the good for the evil that Saul had sent his way. You couldn't find a more faithful servant of Saul than David. And Saul was completely unfaithful. He'd weep over the death of Saul and mourn him. And Saul would always plan in his hatred to destroy David by any means. Lord, help us. As we allow God to take care of things in our life, it frees me up. 
He's not trapped in a cave anymore. I'm not trapped by my circumstances. I'm not pressed in by what somebody said about me. And their sin is not going to affect me because he, God is in control. And I am free to worship Him. I'm not, and I'm, I don't have to respond to that. I don't have to fix it and make it right. And I'll try hard. And How many of you tried to fix that? It doesn't fix very well. But if I allow God to have His way and have His place, He'll take care of me. In verse 6, now as you make this next little section, because the refrain here at the end of 5, they prepared a net for me in my steps, and my soul is bowed down, and they dug a pit before me. He looks around and sees the means by which these lions and these people are going to destroy him. And for a little bit there, he says, my soul is bowed down. He gets a little discouraged. He gets a little depressed. How many of you have never, ever been depressed? Because if I, I will see that hand up, I want to talk to you later on. Oswald Chambers said, it's the nature of a rock to not be depressed. <laughs> we have the capacity of depression and discouragement. So we have that same capacity for love and for joy. John the Baptist got depressed and discouraged. Elijah got depressed and discouraged. Jonah gets depressed. It's a part of who we are, but it's what we do with it. And David quickly turns around. He said, in the midst of... Of, they, of it, that they, all these pits and this stuff that they've laid before me, in the midst of it, they will fall themselves. He stepped one back and he's stepping it above and he's looking ahead and he says, The Lord, I know their end. They're going to end up. The very pit that they dug, they're going to fall into. The very net that they laid for me, they're going to get trapped up into. Who remembers Haman in the book of Esther? The, the Lord is going to take care of us. He built his gallows to hell to, to, to destroy the Jews and it's on those gallows he hung himself. We let God do his work. I know where they're headed and I know where I'm headed. Psalm 1, where the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked shall perish. Psalm 73, if you want to read that, it's kind of a companion to this same idea. But here the, the psalmist in 73 is struggling with the prosperity of the wicked and how they succeeded and how in his attempt to walk with the Lord he struggles and he falls down and he feels like, Lord, you're chastening me all over the place. What's going on? And he says, it wasn't until I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end that it hit him. And he said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. What you have prepared for me is far better than what you have prepared for them. This is temporal. He was seeing, begin to see things eternally. I like this little section here. If you want to, I got, I think I have a little bit of time. Please. When I look at this first, it goes so quickly from this little bit of depression to this great exaltation, to this great confidence and this understanding. The picture the Lord gave me is Peter. Who knows the story of Peter walking out on the water to meet the Lord, right? And he begins to walk on the... He, he's walking on the water in the midst of the storm. 
And he looks around and then he starts to go, oh, and he yells for help and the Lord scoops him up. But if put into this little verse, this is what would happen. <laughs> Peter's walking on the water. He's doing it. He's coming to the Lord. The waves are about. He starts to look at the waves and it's, he gets scared. And before he goes to help, he goes, hmm, if I can walk on top of the water, I can surely walk under the water. No big deal. And I thought, that's just like you, Lord. How small and little we think he is if we get a bigger perspective. Charles Spurgeon said this, if we would venture on the revealed promises of God, we would enter into a world of miracles to which as yet we are strangers. I thought of that walking underwater and it made me think, and I called Billy Ferguson and I, because he served in our military, served our nation as a submariner. And I said, Billy, how many, how long can you guys go out on deployment? And he says, oh, about three months is a typical deployment. How many men on your ship, on that boat, in that submarine? Oh, about a hundred. I think, and if you stop, if man could do that, three months underwater, walk, kind of walking, so to speak, how much more the Lord? We make him so little. As David looks higher and higher, here's the climax. My heart is steadfast in seven. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake the lute and the harp, and I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing to you among the nations. Why? Because your mercy reaches to the heavens and your truth is in the clouds. Reminds me of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. They're beaten. They're, they're thrown into the inner prison. They've got stocks on their feet. And what are they doing at midnight? They're praising the Lord. David is being risen above his circumstances. Not one single thing has changed. And we see this well of living water, this fountain springing up and enjoying and embracing the Lord in the midst of this cave. Wow. I love this picture. He says, and he's doubling down. He says, steadfast twice. He says, I'm going to sing and praise. And then in verse 6 or 7, he says, I'm going to praise and sing. He's excited. He's, he's ready to get going. And I love this. He says, I'm going to awaken the dawn. What imagery is that? He's going to wake up the alarm clock. He's ready for a new day. This day is old. He says, I mean, he's going to grab that rooster by the throat and said, wake up. The Lord is alive. The Lord is raised in heaven. Yell it out. And he can't wait. And he says, I'm going to praise you and sing unto you. And I can't wait to get out of here to share it with everyone because the Lord has saved me. I want to tell the nations. I want to tell everybody that I see the Lord has saved me. And the Lord is good. And the God is exalted in the heavens. Wow. And he's in a little dark cave. That's the Lord. His mercy has come. And this is the victory that each and every one of us, that the Lord desires for us to have. Yes, I want my circumstance to change. I want my car to pass DEQ. I don't have any more money to dump into it. Yes, I need that job. Yes, I need to be vindicated of all that those people had said about me. Those will happen. It is timing. In the meantime, where am I? 
David's in the heavens. Ah, nothing else has changed. But he never changes. He's there with me, singing praise to the Lord and keeping and walk with step with him. We finish in verse 11. He says, be exalted as he repeats the refrain. It's the, it's the refrain that carried him through. Above the heavens, your glory above the earth. God is in charge. God's going to finish what he started in your life. It's a psalm of Daniel who, was, who had lines all around him and lies all around him. How about Joseph? Who had lies all around him and people that hated him wanted him dead. It was his own brothers that they threw him in the pit and would laugh at him, ready to destroy him. Or Jeremiah. The list goes on. The psalm's for me. The psalm's for you. Because we all face these things in our life. The psalm most powerfully for me foreshadows the suffering of Christ. He suffered all of that, didn't he? In Psalm 22, I'm surrounded by the bulls of Bashan. The, these Pharisees are they've come to destroy, and I'm among lions. But if you read Psalm 22, and I encourage you to read that and read Isaiah 50, the little picture of what's going on inside of the Lord, and you'll be amazed at what he's thinking. But it's climaxed in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, there's joy in the midst of where Christ was at. Even in the cross, he was in fellowship with his Father. Who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Amen? That's where I want to be. Next to my Savior. He's a finisher. He finishes what he starts. So the question is, God's ascending God. He sent his Son, even this morning, to you. And to me, who's going to receive them? If you don't understand the Savior that I've described here this morning, and you do not know Him, or you're not sure you know Him, come talk to me, because I'm excited to share with you. Because I remember a young 19-year-old boy, 45 years ago, a mess, and that God had sent His Son to me to save me. And I am steadfast. And I'm going to glory before the Lord. Not because I'm steadfast, but because He's steadfast. I'm going to proclaim His name. Because my hope and my love is fixed in Him. Because He never changes. He's going to complete what He started in my life. And He started a good thing. And He's going to finish it. So wherever you're at today, non-believer, new believer, hey, you're excited. I remember when I first got saved, wow. I'm on cloud nine, boy. Nothing's going to touch me. And I went along for quite a while till the reality hit. And there I learned that he was still there then. Even when he was up here with me, he's here as well. And if you're an old veteran, crusty and salty like me, I need to be reminded of every day and I'm going to finish. He's going to finish in me what he started. I don't care how sick I get. I don't care what happens in my life. He's going to complete what he started. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. Bless your people this morning. May we embrace you as you've sent your son. And we would allow you to grab a hold of us. Guide us and direct us into the love of God today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.